1 Peter 1, 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about, that, about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been anointed, announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Kathy and I have had the the privilege as well as the uh, delight uh, of traveling uh, over the last several years. We've made a number of trips uh, with friends and, and on our own as well. And one of the things we have noticed is the difference that a guide makes. When, when you go somewhere new, somewhere astonishing, somewhere awe-inspiring, it, it's tough to know, one, what you should be looking at, and even if you see it, what it is that you're looking at. And having a guide is a wonderful help to that. We particularly enjoyed our time in Africa last fall with, with Kathy's AFS student sister and her husband, who are natives of Namibia, and they took us around uh, through the country of Namibia to, to various game parks and they knew the country well, they knew the animals and the birds well, and they could see them in the bush long before we could and could identify them even when we could see them. So it was a great, great a blessing to have a knowledgeable guide. And in that sense, I want us to think about today um, this passage in First Peter, but to recognize that, that overall Peter is writing as a pastor. This is one of the pastoral epistles. Peter is writing to believers in the Lord Jesus spread throughout, as he says in in verse 1, dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, a very diverse group of, of topography, geography, a very diverse group of people. There would have been, of course, 
Jews who had been dispersed from Jerusalem after the Babylonian destruction in 587 B.C. They would have gone to the various parts of the ancient Near East. But those subsequent, the majority, most commentators believe, the majority of those to whom he's writing, though, would have been Gentiles. People lived in these regions, uh, pagans and primitive, perhaps, at best. But, but Peter is writing to those, if you look with me at verse 1, to those who are the elect exiles, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So, so Peter can be thought of perhaps as, as a, a shepherd, um, a pastor, a loving guide to the Christian life for those to whom he writes, those who would not have been acquainted with the Jewish way of life writ large and certainly would not have been acquainted, at least initially, with the message of Jesus Christ. But, but his is a message of hope to those who are living on the cusp of both the Neronian persecution, which will follow in, in a very short number of years, but even in the present moment, who are being uh, mistreated, who are being aligned, who are being persecuted for their faith. And he says to them three things, if you will. He says, trust the Lord, live obediently no matter the circumstances, and keep your hope fixed on God's promised salvation. So if you will, I'd like to call Peter's letters, and this one in particular, a, a traveler's guide for Christian pilgrims. A traveler's guide for Christian pilgrims. If we're going to make our way in this world as, as faithful and fruitful believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to trust the Lord. We need to live obediently. We need to keep our hope fixed. And above all, as he says in verse 14, if you want to turn your page just a moment, verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also should be holy in all your conduct. And to do that, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, as the writer of Hebrews says, to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Then you say, how? Well, in this passage, I think Peter gives us four ways of doing that. Four ways of, of doing that, of, of where to fix our eyes. I, I use my title from an old Sesame Street song that we knew when our kids were small that says, um, it never seems to fit, that's about the size of it. That's about the size, it's where you put your eyes, that's about the size of it. And so I want to put our eyes on four things this morning. You have an outline in your bulletin, you want to follow along. Those four things are our are, are position, our possession, our prospects, and our purpose. And I want to start by looking at our position. Back again to verse 1. What is our position? We are, in the words of Peter here, elect exiles. Elect exiles. And there's a couple of things we need to understand about that. When, when the Jews were pushed out, when Jerusalem was destroyed in 587, they became exiles. Exiles in the land of Babylon, and according to Babylon practice, they were exiles scattered throughout the ancient Near East. You know, Daniel and his 
His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were examples of that. They were made administrators in, in the governance of the land of Babylon in its various provinces. So, so the elect were now exiles, gone from Jerusalem. But in this case, the elect exiles are those who God has called. He's made them his own. He has for them a permanent home. And, and somewhat like the Jews in the Old Testament, as they journeyed through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, they are not vagabonds without a homeland. They have one. They're just not there yet. And in the same way, Peter writes to the exiles who are transient here on earth, but they do have an eternal home. And then the question is, how do we live as transients with an eternal home? And I want to call our attention for just a brief moment back to the book of Jeremiah. In chapter 29, Jeremiah writes to the Lord, tells Jeremiah, write to the exiles who are scattered and tell them this. Verses 4 through 7 of chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now note these things. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. In other words, be concerned about the, you might say, the Homebodies among you whom you are transients. There's a sort of a recurrent tension in the Christian perspective of how do we live in this world. And, and some would say, well, you know, what we should do is we should just fight the world. Because obviously the world is fighting against God, so we should fight against the world. And there are others who say, no, we should perhaps just conform to it. And there is a third option that says, no, just flee from it. You know, go to the monasteries, go to the hills, go to the communes, wherever it is, and, and go away from the world. And then, of course, the fourth option is change it. But I think Peter's call to us, as, as we consider our position, we have a homeland, a place secured for us. And we'll see more about that in, in just a moment. But if we are transients here, the word of Jeremiah to the people of his day, to the exiles, was settled down and care for the land where you are placed. That means, in our case, perhaps, local elections and who's on the school board and, you know, who, how do we support our local police officers? How do we encourage the teachers in our local schools? Perhaps we ourselves are called to some kind of public service. But, but we don't hide from or push away the world in which we live. We simply don't conform to it. We are to be witnesses. We may be aliens, but we are also ambassadors, and we need not forget that. You know, we, we have memorized, perhaps many of us, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? But verse 17 is just as important, and that verse says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we sometimes forget that. But if we are to be faithful in our position, we must remember that we are ambassadors. 
And Jesus came for those who are lost. We must not disdain them. We must not despise them. We certainly must not conform to them. But we must recognize that our position as elect exiles, known by God, foreknown by him from before the foundation of the earth, we were brought to faith in Christ by the work of the Spirit. And in that faith, we were sprinkled with the blood of Christ for cleanliness. And now our task, if you will, is to obey Jesus. So that's our position. Elect, a position of privilege, exiles. A position of of temporary, if you will, abode on the way to the eternal place. And that's what Peter directs us to next, is is our possession. Verse 3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, one, to a living hope, through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, two, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being kept through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are born again into a living hope. When Jesus was raised from the dead, that hope became a reality. That is in Christ's resurrection that that hope is grounded. Your hope and mine isn't, first of all, hearing the message of the gospel. I mean, that's what we need to hear to enter into our hope. But our hope is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. So that that's a fact. And in that fact... Christ secured our resurrection. He has risen as we celebrate. This is the fifth Sunday of Easter. We are in the season of Easter. That the reality of our possession is fixed. It is kept in heaven where it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now, it would be one thing if our, if our possession was held in heaven, if our inheritance was secure, but we weren't secure in that. You know, we make our way through life. I've got this, you know, home and glory, and then I find that there's a no, no entrance sign at the door. That would not be good news at all. But, but our possession is grounded in Christ's resurrection. It is in the past. Some of us approach our Christian faith a little bit. <laughs> a story about the guy is driving along, and there's a hitchhiker. He stops to pick the hitchhiker up, and as the hitchhiker comes running up to the, to the door, he says to him, hey, I'm not sure if my turnage signal's working. Could you check it? And the hitchhiker ducks to the back of the car and says, yeah, it's working. I know it's not. Oh, yeah, it's working. No, it's not. I'll, I'll wait. I've got to... It's, it's off and on, off and on. But if our faith is grounded in the resurrection of Christ... It's on always. And as we enter into that, we come through faith into a living hope. Does that mean that life isn't going to be hard? No. That's our next point. But, but our possession is secured for us, and we are, if you will, secured by God's power for our possession. And in that, says verse 6, we can rejoice. Our inheritance is secure. Our possession is held by God with our name on it and his name on us. We have an inheritance kept in heaven, and we are kept 
for that inheritance by God's power through faith. And so where do we fix our eyes then? That being so, if, if our position is one of alien but ambassador, if our possession is an inheritance kept but not yet attained, what are our prospects? And Peter says this. Okay, you're rejoicing in your inheritance. That's great, your position, your possession. Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, or your, your genuine faith, I think the NIV says, your genuine faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. So when, when you have difficulties and you bear up under them in light of your position, in light of your possession, in light of your faith, those difficulties serve both to strengthen you in that faith and also to reflect honor and glory to Jesus. How can you bear that up? It's because of what Jesus has done. How can you just take that? It's because of what Jesus has done. It's because of him that I am able to handle the various trials, the various griefs, the various, in his day, persecutions, and more than likely in our day because it's the case across the globe. Those who are Jesus have Jesus' trials, have Jesus' griefs, have Jesus' sorrows to share in that they might share in his glory and then that praise and glory and honor will not be theirs when Jesus returns. It'll be his. All that I am, Lord, all that I have, all that I've ever done is because of you and to you be honor and glory. I was struck by the distinction between that and a worldly point of view. I read an article this past week that had sort of a political slant. I won't go into that too far for you. But it, it was about, I think, progressive depression. Progressive depression. Youth Risk Behavior Survey was how it was titled. Youth Risk Behavior Survey. It was released in December of 2022 by the, the CDC. And it discusses the serious mental health problems of America's young people. And, and what the survey, or what the analysis of the survey showed was that a teenager's political views impact their level of depression. That while girls are more likely to be depressed than boys, the survey showed that liberal boys are more likely to be depressed than conservative girls, for example. Uh, as one, one analyst says, progressives give value to depressive affect. That's in other words, I'm just upset about everything, and it just makes me sad. They give value to depressive affect as a sign of political commitment, unquote. In other words, the, the only way that you can be grateful or content in your place is if you're ignorant of all the problems in the world. And, and if you're aware of the problems in the world, then you need to be upset and angry about that. You can't afford to be grateful. I was talking to a friend who's a campus crusade worker at Westchester University recently, and he said, you wouldn't believe the level of loss or depression among students on campus because they have 24-7 access to all the horrible things in the world, 
and they have no foundation from which to judge those things or out of which to respond to those things. So they're just overcome with a sense of helplessness, with a sense of the world going to heck in a handcart. And, and they have no basis for response. In fact, as the writer of the article on their youth risk behavior says, secular progressives, excuse me, since the world's crises will never end, the moment for contentment, rest, and gratitude will never come. There's always a problem that I have to solve. And yet, what Peter is telling us is that because of, our, because of the hope that we have, because of the joy that is ours, despite the pain that we might be going through, we know victory, and we don't have to live in the midst of circumstances. The secular worldview has no such hope. Their, their joy is going to come once they've worked hard enough to fix all the problems. And if that's your mindset, you're going to be depressed because the media keeps telling you about more problems and more problems and more problems. So Peter says, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though that you're going through trials, you have a genuine faith that's being tested by fire and will come through for the praise and honor and glory of Christ. Now, verse 8 is interesting. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. Why do you think Peter put that in there? Well, it, it seems to be the, you know, the consensus of the commentators. Think about it. Peter was with Jesus throughout his ministry. You know, it was Peter's mother-in-law that was healed. It was Peter who saw Jesus walk on the sea and was able to walk on the sea. It was, you know, Peter who was at the Mount of Transfigurations. Boy, could Peter share his faith story with you. And yet, if you think about it, you recall, Jesus said, well, who do people say I am? And they give a few answers. And then Peter finally says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, man did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven revealed that to you. In other words, it wasn't Peter's relationship to Jesus in a worldly human uh, nature that enabled him to know Christ as Savior. It was the gift of the Holy Spirit, the revelation from God that opened Peter's eyes to see. And now Peter knows that, and he says to the Gentiles to whom he's writing, you too can know him. In fact, you do know him. You've never seen him, but you know him, and you love him. You believe in him. How? Because the Holy Spirit, is, he says here in, in verse 2, the sanctification of the Spirit, that means that, that moment of conviction in which the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the forgiveness of Christ, that sanctification of the Spirit is the way that anyone and everyone can come to know Christ. And so by, by faith, the Gentiles who, who haven't seen Jesus in the flesh can nevertheless share with Peter in loving him. We, we don't have to have been in Galilee with Jesus to be believers in him, to know the joy of that. And then that leads, of course, to, okay, if, if, if I have this position and I have this possession and I have the prospect of not only facing troubles but having my faith strengthened in the midst of them, what is my purpose? Why am I in this place? Why am I here? Peter says in verses 10 through 12 that, you know, the prophets who spoke in the past spoke things that were difficult to understand. They wondered, what is this about? 
And they were led to recognize that it's, it's not about ultimately here and now and you and yours. It speaks to that. But it is about the Messiah who's to come and the Messiah who will suffer before he enters into his glory. And therefore, the things that they wrote were for a latter generation. He says in verse 12, they were serving not themselves but you in that the things that have now been announced to you, let's say the letter is written about 62 A.D., what you heard in 62 A.D., is what was sent by the Holy Spirit from heaven back when the prophets in the Old Testament were writing. At that point, you know, 587 B.C. was when the Jews uh, were thrown out of Jerusalem and it was destroyed. What the prophets were writing 600 years before was what God wanted you in 63 to know. And by extension, of course, what God spoke through his prophets and apostles in 63 A.D., is what he wants you and me to know. And, and that is that, that we have a hope that is secure, that, that this hope we can set our, or excuse me, on, on this salvation we can set our hope on. We will be his, and we are therefore to be holy. In chapter 2, in, in verse 9, and we'll, we'll be looking at that, I think, next week together, Paul says, excuse me, Peter says, but you who weren't anybody who didn't know God, but now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies, says ESV, declare the praises, says NIV, of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why are you here? Why are you foreknown by God in Christ? What's the purpose of your Christian life? It is to declare the praises of God. And we learn more and more of his faithfulness and his trustworthiness. We have more and more occasion to praise him as we encounter difficulties. As our faith is challenged and doesn't turn off and on like a turning signal, but remains constant and is deepened and strengthened and grown by the challenges of this life, we have more occasion to praise our God and Father. Peter, the apostle of hope, writes to us, a traveler's guide for Christian pilgrims. Know your position. Be confident in your possessions. Recognize that the prospects before you will be challenging. But in the midst of that, we are ambassadors of hope. We are demonstrators of joy. We are pilgrims with a purpose to bring praise and honor to God our Father. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you that you have spoken to us through the prophets and the apostles. And though we do not see Jesus, we love him. And we know him. We believe in him and rejoice in what he has brought to us. So I pray that you would strengthen us by your word. And now as we approach the table by the sacrament, that we together as a people, alien but ambassadors, might live our lives to the honor and glory and praise of your name. We ask it in Jesus. Amen.